0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Mignot. Each week, I bring in a different business leader who's doing game-changing things. And this episode is no different. I am so delighted to have Erica Daya-Masakoy, who is the founder and CEO of the OODA company at a fantastic fashion friend. She has an amazing story. Uh, take a listen. Hey, Erica. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Laura. I'm delighted to have you on the show. I love your dresses. I've (laughs) been very (laughs) disgusted. First question in the podcast, always the same. Answers are always amazing. I'm sure yours would be no different. Okay. Erica, what was your first
1: job? My first job was working at The Limited. I was in the eighth grade going to ninth grade. I had to get special permission from my mom. The Limited was a really cool store. Um, in the Omni mall in Miami, Florida, where I'm from, and I remember at a very young age wanting to earn my own money, <laughs> yeah. so I was like this like fifteen year old girl selling these eighties power suits to like working women it was it was like so great, and that's back when the limited was like super cool. We get this music um that they came from London, so it would be like a lot of Robert Palmer playing but I remember just being this young girl selling these like eighties power suits with these um shoulder pads <laughs> to older women and boy could I turn some like suits out. I was the highest seller in the store and I only worked on like the weekends and Friday evenings. <laughs> of course because yeah yeah the one seventy nine trust a black women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Oh my god that's such a fond memory. Thank you for asking
0: Oh, of course. So, okay. So we go from the top saleswoman at The Limited to where you are now. What yeah. What's that been like?
1: Well, you know, my journey began, um, I'd always been an artist. I grew up in Miami, Florida, and my parents, they were sort of like hippie parents. They let me explore a whole bunch of things until I found out what I loved. And I went to a performing art school in Miami, Florida, but fashion had always been my first love. I grew up watching... Um, style with Essel Clinch on CNN <laughs> every weekend. So I knew I wanted to be a woman of arts and letters and culture and design. And so after um, graduating from high school, New World School of the Arts in Miami, Florida, I attended the University of Chicago, where I majored in history. And at that point, coming out of being a theater major in high school, I really thought that I wanted to be a playwright. And when I got to the University of Chicago, I wanted to study like, you know, the breath and death of history. And I did that, but along the way I discovered cinema. Um, And I began making experimental films, short video films, and ended up graduating from the University of Chicago with a BA in history and a master's in social science. I was then recruited by... Tisch School of the Arts at NYU to enter their Ph.D. cinema studies program. And so I got a Ph.D. in cinema and I had How does to one get it? a Ph.D. in cinema. Back up the truck here. How does that happen? How does that happen? Well, I began curating cinema. So I worked for documentary film groups at the University of Chicago, which is the longest running student film documentary program like in history. So I began one of my first jobs when I was in college, I began as a projectionist, right? So I would like project all types of film. I remember my first film I projected was Viva Las Vegas. <laughs> and no, that First film I projected, you know, people would come and they would see films and, you know, I, you know, loved everything art and culture wise. So I was like, oh, this will be a good part time job. And that was the first film I projected. And then that just sort of like melded into me, like curating film programs like I never knew that that could be a career for me. The ideal of like curating programs. So I curated an early African cinema project. I remember curating a black exploitation project and I just got more and more deeper into cinema. And when I think back on it, it had always been an important part of my life. I remember staying up late, watching a lot of film noir films and musicals with my mom on public television. Um, And so it came very naturally to me. And then I moved into the space of like curating film and, you know, it was a small group back then of people who were doing like black American cinema um, academia work. And I was one of them. And so I ended up writing my dissertation on the history of multicultural media art from 1950 to 2000. And oh it became my. a huge show. Yeah. Race and digital space. It traveled to the Studio Museum in Harlem. It was also seen at the MIT List, of Visual Arts Center. Um, but before that, I'd also worked as um, an assistant curator at the Museum of the Moving Image, as well as a curatorial assistant at the Whitney Museum of American Art. So when I was in New York, I was going to school full-time, and I was working full-time, burning the candle up. At- ends. But that's sort of what you do when you're in New York. You know, I started grad school in the mid nineties and it was a great time to be a creative in New York. I remember going to work and then I would take my classes in the evenings. I would do all nighters writing my, you know, papers. But it was a great lifestyle. You know, I went to all the openings for cinema. I was all at all the openings for media. And when I finished up my PhD, I was actually again recruited by Oxygen Media, and this was the early days in Oxygen when it was still, you know, Oprah Winfrey and Carsey Warner Mondabach. Um, and it was, it was like Ms. Magazine. That's the only way that I can describe it on television. This was before the days of girls behaving badly, and it was right before reality television started. So we were all sent out to video boot camp, and I would, go out with my camera girl and we would basically cover everything in art and designs. I covered the shows at Fashion Week when they were still at the tent. I would do these evergreen projects going into designers' ateliers and spending like a week with them and creating these amazing like 5 to 7 minute pieces. I would shoot it. I would do a rough cut and then we do a final cut and it would be on television. It was awesome. One of the best jobs I ever had. Oh, my God. that sounds amazing. Yeah, it was like it was I mean, it was great because I would pitch a story and then I would make it come to life. Right. And then after the oxygen gig, I'd also done some work, some radio work for NPR. And then I was recruited to be the assistant dean of art and design at the Fashion Institute of Technology. And by the time I got to FIT, of course, fashion was the signature in the School of Art and Design. But I was working on curriculum and instruction for all the departments in our school. So that included everything from visual presentation, exhibition design to accessories, graphic design, computer animation, photography, fine arts, you name it. So over, um, I guess that would be like a 20 year span, I'd done all this work. So I had all this history and all this knowledge. And I was in my late 30s at that point. I got married. I had a child. We moved from New York to Seattle. And Seattle really is where I started the ULA company, because at that point I'd become, I hate to even say it, but it's true, a trailing wife. <laughs> I was, you know, trailing my husband um, for his work. And a friend mm-hmm. of mine in Seattle said, you know, it's great you have all this wonderful history and art and design, I think you need to maybe consider entrepreneurship. And I had so many friends who were working in the VC sector and the technology sector. And Seattle is such an entrepreneurial town. So I really began the ULA project as a social, cultural project for many years. I would just do one collection a summer and sell it to all my friends and do it the next year. But my commercial business really began with my partnership in Nordstrom, which started in January of 2021. Wow.
0: I know, so that was a mouthful. <laughs> that is an incredible story. Funny, yeah. I didn't realize
1: you were in Seattle because I was in Seattle last week. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm in Denver now. We moved in COVID. So I moved once again, right when my first collection for Nordstrom was due to Denver. Um, so it's been it was important for me, even though I was, you know, following my husband across the country to still have something for myself. Um, And that was really mine. And that, you know, really used the breath and death of my experience. I mean, my career, I've been so privileged, regardless of the area of art and design that I've worked in to work at that intersection of culture, history and style, whether it's creating environments in the museum world or working. On curriculum, you know, with professors and students or working as a professor. So, you know, that when we if we take it all the way back to when I was, you know, a young girl working at the limited in retail, you know, going through retail, through academia, contemporary art, then as a dean and now as a fashion designer, I feel in many respects like I've come full circle.
0: Yeah, this sounds amazing. And it's it's such a beautiful tapestry of how you melded all, all those pieces together to get to be where you are. Like, it's it's so wonderful. So I came into contact with the Uber company um, back in February when I needed a dress to when I was going to be interviewing Aurora James. And my stylist yeah. found you at Nordstrom and I was like, this is amazing. And the first thing that blew me away was that the material that you use is outstanding. So I'd love for you to share, like, how do you source these materials? How did this all come to be? All that good stuff.
1: Sure. So for the Ula company, we use African wax fabric um, as well as dead stock fabric for our dresses. And so just to give you a little background, Ula, the name Ula is a derivation of my great grandmother's mane, which her name was Lula, and it means will and determination. So I've really created... The company as a way to honor the women in my family who made so many sacrifices for me, as well as also to build a legacy for my daughter, Luba, um, who's 12 years old now. I grew up in an African-American Orthodox Muslim household, and my parents were very black is beautiful forward. My touch point is really with my mother wearing African Wax fabric in the seventies. And I always remember her in like a beautiful caftan, um, with natural hair and all this jewelry, beautiful perfume. I mean, you could hear her and smell her coming, right? She was one of those fabulous ladies. And so I just really wanted to replicate that. As a working mom, I was like, I need something easy to put on, um, a beautiful dress that will take me from drop off in the morning to business to date night with my husband, to vacation. So that's really how I started it. Now, my husband is from Sierra Leone. And so when we married, I started wearing a lot of Ankara for special events, But I really wanted to get to the place where I could wear it every day. So I literally just started the company. I did not write a business plan, much to the chagrin of my husband, who's a strategic CFO, and his work. I just intuitively knew that it would work. I took all the money that I was earning working as a curator for the Seattle Art Museum, and I put it into ULA, and I've been bootstrapping it myself ever since. Amazing. Yeah. So we source all of the wax cloth from West Africa, from India and from Europe. But everything is made in the USA. And one of the reasons that I do that is because I really believe in art and design as a catalyst for economic development. Having worked in academia, you see so many BFA and MFA students who don't have the opportunity to hone their craft and work in their area of concentration, um, and Ula gives me an opportunity to give back um, to those artisans and those practitioners um, to cut and sew these beautiful dresses.
0: Amazing! Again, the dresses are fantastic. They're gorgeous. They're sold Nordstrom, and mm-hmm. when I step on the stage at our event wearing your dress, um, there's an audible gas. Because mm-hmm. it's cause it's, a, it's a quite a dramatic brown and, and red dress. Because, you know, for me, I always wear red whenever I'm presenting. And so I yeah. wanted something that would have red in it, but would have a different vibe to it. Because I was deliberately wearing only black designers really? for that event. And so, yeah, because it was also showing that, like, you know, black-owned businesses make beautiful luxury goods. Yeah. And it isn't about, like, a handout. This is, like, I would normally, I would have bought this anyway. I'm um, if I've seen it before, and I think that's the key about a lot of this stuff is that sometimes folks think, "Well, oh, we're just making a nice little handout to help these little black and brown business." Like, no, these things are expensive. Do you same. yeah, they're, for a dress, they're, that yeah
1: they're expensive, and so I've I've struggled with that because you know everything it's a cost to having everything made in the USA, right? Mm-hmm. I work with family owned textile business that I've built a relationship with over the years, and when you look at what we're doing is high quality cotton. I mean, the actual hand of the fabric is about as thick as like a man's Oxford shirt. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's thicker than that. And sometimes we do, you know, um, cotton blends, but they're very specific. they are block printed or screen printed on both sides, you know, so it's not like you have a beautiful print on one side and it's that ugly white on the other side. This mm-hmm. is, dyed through. They're easy to wear, gorgeous pieces. It's the closest thing to couture that you're going to get because everything was cut and sewn by a person and then handcrafted by a person. And what makes Ula, I think, so unique and specific that people know it when they see it is how I select the prints. I lean more towards sort of modish, beautiful conversational print. So I love a floral that's abstracted. I will also choose prints that replicate sound waves. I had another one that replicated like a video game. There's a lot of depth in what I choose. And a lot of that comes from me having over the past 30 years of my career, I've seen a lot of art. I've seen a lot of cinema. (laughs) And so all of that gets woven into what the ULA company is and has become. So it's a very unique look and it's a direct reflection of my lived experience and also of of my taste. You yeah, have beautiful taste. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. And it's and it's and thank you so much. And so it's, it's really I just have a, a secondhand feel for it. You know, I do work with the buyers because we're in Nordstrom, but we're also on Shopbop now. So awesome. those two customers are very different customers. So it's been interesting to me to see what colors and what silhouettes resonate, you know, with different generations um, in different areas of the country. That's been interesting too, so that I'm able to more fine tune and more carefully curate each collection. And each collection is an amalgam of colors. So sometimes you'll go into a department store and you'll see a brand and, you know, it's the same colorway and everything kind of looks the same because they're on trend. I want Ula to almost be the direct opposite of that. So you'll see a lot of different prints, a lot of different colors. It's almost like a mini pop up or art installation a riot of color on its own. So it always stands out on the floor in terms of me comparing it to like, you know, peer brands on the floor. It makes its own statement. Yeah, um, and I
0: think that's the key about it. I think that that's the key about all of this stuff is it makes, it makes an incredible statement. And that's interesting. You know, thinking about like how you started to where you are now, what mm-hmm. do you think you'd tell 18-year-old Erica?
1: You know, I think I really wish, and I and I. Share this with all of the younger kids that I mentor that I really wish I maybe had been exposed to successful entrepreneurship earlier in my career. You know, it's interesting. My father, he wanted to be an entrepreneur in the worst way, right? He understood that economic freedom was the way, and he started two businesses that didn't go very well for us as a family. He worked a night shift as a skycap for Eastern Mm -hmm. Airlines, but he had multiple side hustles, you know, Mm -hmm. that I felt kept us in the poorhouse, like through the eyes of a child. I mean, Mm -hmm. for a while, we owned a Carvel ice cream, and then we owned a convenience store, family gifts and housewares, but it never worked out for him. And now that I'm on the other side of being a successful entrepreneur, I see now that had he been exposed to financial opportunities as well as mentorship himself, things could have gone another way. But at that time, we were financially insecure. And as a child, that made me feel anxious all the time. That made a lasting impression on me. So the last thing I wanted to be was an entrepreneur. <laughs> it right. was, I was, I became extremely risk averse. Right. And I just wanted, yeah, and it happens. And I just wanted a life of letters and to be a Renaissance woman and to own a house and not have to worry about the lights or the phone being turned off. You know, that was my lived experience as a child. But I realized now that had it worked out differently, I probably would have pursued entrepreneurship much earlier because most creatives are risk averse, you know, we're risk takers. And I think that's why there's been so much diversity in my own career. I wasn't afraid to, like, switch careers. And I was always curious about what would be next. And I just wanted to grow, you know, as a creative. And it's been really easy for me to become an entrepreneur. Everything is secondhand to me. It hasn't been super hard at all. And people find, I mean, the hours are long, everything's on my shoulders. There's that pressure. I feel overwhelmed 95% of the time, but I can't say like the work is super hard.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a whole different universe. I think- yeah. You know, it's the thing about entrepreneurship is that, you know, the grass is not greener. It's just grass. You still yeah. have to tend to it to, and you'll find your way. And whenever you come into it is when you're I, I firmly believe it's the, it's the when you're supposed to fall into it. Mm, um, yeah. and, not, and not and just, you know, ha, come from a place of abundance where it's like they're in your heart, in your mind. You're at that moment where it makes the best sense for you to do this. Um, I think that's a key about a lot of what we have to go through with entrepreneurs because it ain't
1: easy at all. It's Speaking not of which. easy at all. But <laughs> you know, I realized, too, that, you know, and having come to entrepreneurship late in in my career, I just turned 51 in February. I'm I I'm able to advocate for myself in a manner in which I may not have been able to do when I was like, you know, in my early 20s or my mid 20s. And I realized that, you know, the decisions that I make, particularly working as a supplier, you know, for major um, department stores, it really sets the stage for those designers who come after me. And I feel like the work has become bigger than me, quite, quite honestly. You know, I do it for for the culture, but I also do it for those creatives who are coming up behind me.
0: And so you can see that, you know. Well, if you can see it, you can always be it. Yeah. Um, but obviously, it's a, it's as you said, it takes up ninety five percent of the time, so it's it can be very taxing. So, mm-hmm. Erica, what do you do for your self care?
1: What I do for my self care, I do a lot of yoga. I do <laughs> yoga. I've been a yogi for about twenty years now. Oh, awesome! But I'm i I'm like one of those serious yogis. So like I'm in headstands.
0: And, and, yeah. And I'm in the, the one. The whole night.
1: Yeah. I'm in a 100 degree room doing yoga. In fact, I'm taking yoga teacher training (laughs) this summer, like in all my free time. Right. But I really want to deepen my practice because I suffer from anxiety um, and panic disorder. And I feel like yoga has become healthcare for me, not just self-care. Like I must do it. I hold the majority of my stress in my body. I'm like a sponge and an empath. So the people I love, if they're going through it, I'm going through you it go too. Through it. And the only way to reset it and to have any type of balance in my life is to make my way to the mat. And that's what I do. And it's really worked out for me. It's been the gift that keeps on giving. And, you know, I have a family to take care of. I have a 12-year-old daughter who's a budding equestrian. So I'm a barn mom. I'm always at the barn when I'm not at doing ULA. And so, I, you know, I have to be there for her because my most important job is to launch her. Right. Exactly. So I think also having a family forces me to have a certain amount of balance in my life. You know, Saturday is really I feel like my only day where I don't have stress. Like I get but, freak outs on Fridays and I have like the Sunday scaries, but Saturday. Horrible. I don't do any work. My husband takes my daughter to the barn. I take my morning bath. I try like not to do anything, like not even go out of the house if I don't have to. I'll go to yoga. That's, that's about it. Yeah, that's my Saturday. And yeah, I'm knew-
0: I a firm believer in having a day that's your day. And I call I call my Laura days. I usually do yeah. it the third Sunday of every month. And I'm just
1: like, yeah. that's my day. Leave me alone. <laughs> because, you know, I'm cramming so much into the week, into the hours that I do have. Right. Like every day for me almost feels like finals week in grad school. Like it's I'm squeezing, 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 squeezing. And, you know, by the time Friday night comes, I really don't have any more to give. Um But I think that's going to change. I I've I finally figured out a way to have more balance with Ula and to fire myself from a lot of these jobs that I've been doing. <laughs> exactly. And, really I important. mean, that's really what it is. It's sort of like letting go of pieces of it. But it, it takes a while to become even comfortable with that idea. Oh, yes. Um, because unlike unlike most, I don't know, unlike most things in art and design, it is very intimate, you know, creating garments that are living on someone's body. You know, so there is a, a nature to it where you have To be involved. And I think sometimes you, I think people sense that I'm like hands on and involved that way. But there's, I can create more space around that, you know, because as I'm getting older, I just don't have the appetite to be burning both candles at both ends. And And it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. And I had to get to a place where I gave myself permission to not always. Feel like being burnt out was my reality. It doesn't have to be.
0: No, it doesn't. And it takes yeah. time. As, as, as an entrepreneur, it's really hard. And yeah. you no know, like letting go of anything is like, well, no. It's like letting go of a trial. It's like no. Mm-hmm. but then you realize that like the more that you let go the more that you can free up brain space in you to do the things that actually you want to do to help the business grow but it's it is an ongoing balance and it never ends like no matter it only ends when you're no longer an entrepreneur and even then whatever you do next you'll still have those like well what do i hold on to what versus what i need to do like it, i don't think it ever ends whenever you work because even now that technically not an entrepreneur anymore I still feel like there's so much that I'm going to hold on to like well actually okay then other folks will have to do that piece of it so it's it's always as it's, it's always going to be part of you because that's just the nature of being an entrepreneur is that like you want to make sure things are great they're done your way and all those pieces that go together um and it's but it's hard and you have to try and find again finding that balance is the the toughest toughest part about it
1: it's so tough I mean it's and I it, even with me getting to a place, and this is, comes with the maturity of of not even having the appetite to work that hard, I still do it because it's like a muscle.
0: Yeah, just you, you have to keep working at it. It's absolutely yeah. like a muscle.
1: Um, it, it's crazy, and so I what I tell most: like have balance in your life. Please, it's really, really important, and I have to stay healthy for my daughter and my family. Yeah, it does. It's imperative. It's like yeah, and I'm doing creative work, so I need to create more space for just quietness, where I'm doing nothing, so that I can be creative. Um,
0: it's a key,
1: thing. Yeah, and I mean, I need that. I need those Saturdays to like clear my mind, you know, you to know, like clean the slate. And I mean, I wish I could have. I want to get to a place where I'm not even working on Fridays, to be honest.
0: <laughs> you get there. Look, you. You know, once you start putting out into the universe, you'll get yep. there it'll, 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 and whatever shape or form it looks like, you'll, if that's what you want, yeah. you'll find, you'll find a way that makes it work, that works the best for you. So huh. I am a full believer that you're going to make this happen. Considering how incredibly brilliant you already are, I have zero doubt that you will figure oh, this out.
1: Thank you, Laura. You know, and it's even with the success, you, you need to hear that, you know, um, I've All my friends who are like successful entrepreneurs, you need. So you, you always need to hear that. You know what? You're doing well. You're, you're doing, doing the same well. thing. You're doing you're, the thing. You're, you're selling the restroom. Yeah. Exactly. You're selling the restroom. Well, well, we are so hard on ourselves. I'm so hard on myself. It's yeah. stupid. It's like hard. Conversations with myself, like Erica. Girl, Come please. Up. You, you I got know. this. <laughs> you know you got this. Um. So, last
0: question for you. Yeah. Do you have a give and or an ask of the audience?
1: Yeah. So my give or ask of the audience is like, give yourself an ULA. Um, I want to do a better job this year of being a brand ambassador for my own brand, making myself the face of the brand, Fantastic. Um, doing more storytelling about it. It's interesting to me. ULA has found its customer base at Nordstrom, but it's not because I've been out there pushing, 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 you know, because I've been focused on getting the scale and Creating a beautiful product. But now it's really about people going into the store, experiencing the dresses, and passing the word along. So we're going to be relaunching on Juneteenth our website, our direct to customer. And I'm very excited about that. um And I'm building that slowly because it needs to be about my full story of ULA and me having more of a direct connection to the customer. And so I want to create space for that as well. Um, People love to hear the story and the story is always in the process of becoming right. Mm -hmm. So that's the great thing of it. They're like, there's so many pieces to it. Um, And so, yeah, I just want people to go out and actually experience it if they can in person. We're in about 12 Nordstrom stores across the country um, and we're also on Shopbop. But I think that once people get into the dress and make it their own, it becomes a whole, as you've experienced, Laura, like a whole event and a whole experience for them.
0: <laughs> it, it brings the drama yeah. uh, it, and, and, it, and it brings a moment. And I think, especially as Black women, it's really important that we show up and show out. And your dress is... <laughs> show up and out so beautifully i mean the amount of compliments and people are like where'd you buy this and i was like here you go um yeah. Yeah. so i am a huge fan and i will keep wearing your stuff you'll see me in other pictures i'm sure on my instagram wearing your fabulous uh, ensembles because they're beautiful and i am so glad you got a chance to talk because like i said i love spotlighting black women entrepreneurs who are doing the damn thing especially when like this this is a new career uh mm-hmm. and they've been able to make it happen you know why if you want something done ask a black woman like done and dusted done um, i know
1: done and done it's so true we know how to get it done we know how to get it done yeah so
0: we're going to put all the details in the show notes for folks to find out where they can currently buy you so north German shop up and then coming in june teens on your yeah. own website and share all your socials as well arapa it's been such a delight to have you on the show thank you so much for joining me today
1: oh thank you so much laura i really enjoyed the conversation awesome okay that is our show yeah thank you